This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their P3OM, a patented high-end probiotic designed to push out the bad guys. Go to bioptimizers.com slash nomeat, that's bioptimizers.com slash nomeat, and use code nomeat for 10% off. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomeat Athlete Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nomad Athlete Radio. I am temporarily here with Matt Tolman, and then we're going to jump back into a, a yet another interview. Exciting times. How's it going, Matt? I'm doing really well. How are you, Doug? Gearing up for gearing up for a baby. Yeah, exciting times. Have you shared with uh, our listeners the excitement and, and some of your chats with Matt recently? Yeah, I think so. Just, uh, I mean, I think I haven't hid that uh, that a baby is coming, although I don't know if they knew when. So it's really any day now. So it could be, we're just kind of waiting for that moment. Well, just, those are, uh, yeah, the most exciting and nerve-wracking times and sleepless nights. So thinking about you guys and excited to share uh, this interview with our community. Um, we have uh, the incredible... Susan Pierce Thompson of Brightline Eating, and uh, I learned a lot from her. Uh, it's always remarkable. I think I'm really smart, and then I get on these <laughs> interviews, and I'm like, wow, you know, there's just this incredible uh, nuance and some you know stats that she threw out that just really fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. What what, what was the main topic you guys covered? Well, um, you know, the thing that Susan and I have in common is uh, what I would call an addictive personality. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. Um, she has just an incredible uh, story, you know, her, her life's journey, um, you know, from a, a fairly dark place, you know, through addiction and recovery to creating a, a way of eating, a philosophy, a program you know, in her books, um, and obviously in her vibrant online community, uh, that's helping millions of people kind of tackle, um, you know, food addiction and, and kind of find, you know, a sustainable way to eat that, you know, obviously helps them maintain a healthy weight. So, um, like I said, just an incredible story. Um, and then, you know, because of that sort of addiction component, uh, Susan has, uh, a doctorate in uh, brain and cognitive sciences. So I was really, really curious to kind of pick her brain uh, and learn what I could. And, and like I said, she threw out some some really interesting facts. Um, you know, the one that stuck with me is, I, I guess a third of people are prone to addiction. A third of people um, are, are kind of on the fence, and a third of people. Uh, like have absolutely, you know, no, no issues with it, you know? Hmm. So I think everyone can kind of relate to where they fall in that spectrum. You know, she and I got a laugh because, uh, you know, she described herself as someone who, um, you know, if she uh, tried a cigarette at a concert, you know, she's the type that leaves the concert to go buy a pack of cigarettes, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And uh, I can definitely relate to that, you know? Um, Uh So anyway, but yeah, learned a lot, and like I said, just a fascinating history uh, that she has personally that that brought her to doing this work. That uh, it's clear that she's so passionate about doing today. Awesome. Well, I look forward to to listening to this interview. It's great. 
Should we just jump into it? Absolutely. All right. Okay, we are live with Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, founder and CEO of Brightline Eating. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time and being with us today. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. So I, I have to say, I'm so excited about this interview because um, from your background, I think you're the smartest person I've talked to in weeks. And I'd love to... Um, no, that's... I forget this is public and all of a sudden I'm going to have to think through who it is I spoke to. So maybe, maybe I've just put my foot in my mouth. But I'm so excited to dig in because, you know, um, when you talk to a dietitian, when you talk to a medical doctor, you know, we're all kind of feeling our way around habits and beliefs and patterns of behavior, right? Um, but, but you're the real deal. You have a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences, and you've been thinking about eating, right, in particular around weight loss and thriving. So I, I can't wait to dig into all of that. But before I, uh, you know, share your background myself, maybe I can just ask you to give us a little bit of, of uh, uh, background on how we arrived here today. How did you find this calling? Why were you interested in, in these sciences? Oh, Matt, it's such a long um gruesome story. <laughs> so I'll try to <laughs> hit the just the highlights. You know, I didn't start off with a fancy resume at all. Um, when I was 20 years old, my resume was, oh, brace yourselves, folks. Um, I was a crack addict. I was a prostitute. Um, I hadn't been in school for years. I was a high school dropout. I, tr I tried three different high schools and then dropped out, just couldn't do the high school thing. And um, probably because I was snorting so much crystal meth up my nose that probably hindered the whole experience a little bit and you know some of the the drug use was around um i don't know what it was about but like um some of it at least was i already had a really bad food problem i didn't have a really bad weight problem i had a small weight problem but i had a really bad food problem and um the first time i tried crystal meth I, I, it solved my food problem so um, that was one reason I kind of kept at it. So fast forward um, by just a bunch of grace and um, certainly the biggest miracle in my life. I got clean and sober when I was 20, just a few days after my 20th birthday. And um, so I'm sitting here right now with you, Matt. I'm 46. So I haven't had a drink or a drug in 40, in 26 years, 26 years. And um, after I put those drugs down, um, I became fat very fast and I knew I would and I started using food like I use drugs. So what that did for me is it really accelerated the awareness that I was a food addict because I was I was using food just like I used to smoke crack cocaine. I was I remember this one I was like a year sober, not even, maybe 9 months. And I was sitting there it was um I was in this one room apartment that I rented in San Jose, California, a bedroom. And um, you're younger than I am, Matt, so you might not remember. I, do you remember the days of like a TV where you had to manually change the channels <laughs> and um, and how there wasn't cable? And so at like two or three or four in the morning, the programming would end and then there would be these big vertical bars on the screen and it would go I, I do I do remember those TVs <laughs> and VHS and the antennas that you'd have to get just right to get a signal. So Yeah. So yeah. I'd been sitting there in front of the TV and this is what was surrounding me. Like wrappers of candy bars, bowls of raw cookie dough, 
po- like a pot of um, like cheesy pasta that I had mostly eaten. And I was like binging and then going outside to smoke a cigarette, coming back, binging, going outside to smoke a cigarette all through the night. And I was sitting there alone and I was using, like I was looking at myself going, Susan, you, this is not sober behavior you're using. And so I, meanwhile, um, was getting my life together in other ways because food addiction is a lot less um, debilitating to one's sort of, you know, normal life than drug addiction is. So I was doing well at San Jose City College. Um, thank goodness for the community college system or I wouldn't have had a toehold back into getting an education, right? Um, super grateful for that. Um, I transferred to UC Berkeley, got straight A's, spoke at the graduation when I graduated there. Um, got a free ride into any graduate school. I, every graduate school I applied to went to what I deemed was the best one and ended up with a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences. And I was studying, like, I was really interested. How does a brain like mine go so far off the rails? Like, because I knew I had capacity, right? I'm sharp, but but I I am not always my best friend, right? The record shows, <laughs> clearly. And... I was really interested in that. And so anyway, I ended up going to the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia and doing a two-year postdoc and it was in psychology. And it was right before I left for Australia that I finally uh, found a new way of eating. I was trying all that time to lose my weight. I tried running a marathon. I know you're like the no meat athlete, right? Um, So I tried running a marathon. I tried joining gyms. I tried... Um, all kinds of diets, like you name it, really all of them. I tried group therapy, individual therapy, hypnotherapy, acupuncture, you know, these getting a little thing in my ear that I had to press to stop cravings. Nothing worked. I, w- I just could not lose my weight. And I was obese by my mid-20s. Um, I didn't know it, Matt. I don't know if you have ever been overweight, but nobody... Nobody like rings your doorbell and gives you a certificate when you cross the threshold into obesity. It just happens. It's a non-event. You know, suddenly you're just a little fatter. The frog boiling, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's not like I wasn't trying. I was, I was, I was really trying. I was trying with everything I had, but I couldn't get that weight off. And as I progressed through my twenties, I got more and more baffled by that because the accolades academically kept, um, piling up. And at that point, I was, um, you know, not tricking on the streets. I was happily married, actually, for years and years and years and stable with lots of good friends and um, thriving in every other way. I just couldn't get that weight off. So when I was 28, um, I stopped eating sugar. Um, I stopped eating flour and I started eating three meals a day. And um, my weight just flew off and I got I went from a size 16 to a size 4 at my heaviest I was a size 24 but at the moment that I uh, found that way of eating I was uh, a size 16 shrunk down to a size 4 and I've been there now for 17 years so obese to slender for 17 consecutive years really doesn't happen in the weight loss world like it's pretty unheard of I've, I've done my best to crunch the numbers for from what's available and it's like I'm in the top one one hundredth of one percent of successful weight loss maintainers so I'm wrapping up the story here fast came back to the United States became a tenured psychology professor and started teaching college courses both in the neuroscience of food addiction 
um, and the psychology of eating and um, positive psychology, which I also weave into the work that I do, right? The, the science of flourishing and happiness. And like you're talking about behavior change, because that is the crux of the problem. Everyone knows they should be eating blueberries and broccoli and not pizza and chicken wings. And um, people have a really hard, people like me, like really smart, successful people have a hard time executing that over the long term. Not all people, but um, the data show most people, right? So um, those are the people that I dedicate my life to now. So that's basically how I got passionate about doing this, just through pure selfishness and self-interest, essentially. <laughs> well, I think I, I, uh, however you got here, it's an amazing thing. And what you've built and, and the number of people you've helped, you know, I, I think should be commended. But um, you brought up so much and I, I had a list of questions that I wanted to get into, but... We're going to throw that out and have to ask. <laughs> Do uh, that, Matt. Throw out that <laughs> list of questions. Let's just talk. <laughs> well, so, I, you know, first of all, I, I share, you know, I, I think in, in what is an addictive personality, right? Um, mm. And whether, you know, I certainly don't mean to put you in a box, but I'm, I'm making some assumptions. I certainly... No, baby, I'm in that box. I'm so in that <laughs> box. I'm so in that box. How do you know that you have an, an addictive personality? Like, what are the signs for you that you're noticing and and well, I just claiming that. I, yeah, I just know that. Um, I mean, literally, I can get addicted to any behavior and sometimes substances, you know, good and bad, right? And so, obviously, the work I have to do every day is to create those virtuous cycles so that I'm getting addicted and maintaining addictions that are in the positive life category, right? Mm. So, whether it's, you know, I mean, I'll, just the other day, I went for a run for the first time because. I've been on the bike a lot. I've been doing a lot of weights and yoga. and I just hadn't been running. And I did my first long run and I was like so into it that, of course, I've run every single day since. Right. Like mm. I just I'm, I'm an extremist. And and again, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I also have to be very careful about alcohol. And, you know, yeah. that, that's you know, like I say, because I know that I look around the table and there are those people who can have a glass of wine and do it for the taste. And I've never drinking a glass of wine for the taste in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, right. Yeah. It's like, what's the point of that? Like if I'm going to be healthy and, you know, uh, I, I might as well be extremely healthy. And if I'm going to drink, like you might as well get the job done well. <laughs> you know? um, so obviously I don't drink, you know, that's, I just, nice. I know that about myself that I have to just, you know, draw, very clear lines, maybe even a bright line in the sand and say, I just don't do that stuff because yeah. I just know I enjoy it too much. So anyway, that's why I, 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 I say I have an addictive personality, which um, but but the reason I bring it up is, you know, so often I think there's a great quote, which I, I can't remember the exact words, but essentially it's, you know, brilliance and insanity are actually a lot closer than you think, right? Totally. <laughs> and it's everyone in the other category that, you know, won't touch either of those, but it's in this this particular category that it seems, you know, your your life, right? Your journey um, to, you know, from where you started, you know, to like summa cum laude graduate uh, speaker at Berkeley, you know, author and, and founder of a thriving movement, you know, um, is kind of a testament to that. And, and I just love to hear your thoughts on what is it about an addictive brain? You know, what, what is it about that, you know, sort of line between insanity and brilliance? Like, have you yeah. learned anything about that that you can share with me? Because I'm just 
from a personal standpoint, yeah. infinitely fascinated. In totally. That. Totally. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I wish we had the quote at the, our fingertips, too. We're not going to pause and Google it, but it's something about genius and madness, right? Like, yes, gen- genius yes, and madness. Yes, that is exactly it. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, totally. First cousins or, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, great question, Matt. And, um, yeah, those folks who can just have a glass of wine if they feel like it and leave it alone, it's they're about a third of the population. They're not susceptible to addiction, even to heroin addiction, even if they shoot up heroin every day. Even if, like, let's say let's say against their will, you just shoot them up every day for, with heroin. Um, in a few weeks, they'll be physiologically addicted in the sense that they'll show withdrawal symptoms if you stop injecting them. Um, but they can't wait to get off it, and they'll just... Um, uh, naturally beeline right back to a, a clean and sober state. Like they have no, their brains don't need another fix. Um, so they can smoke a cigarette at a concert and then have no part of their brain that's whispering to them to maybe buy a pack the next day, right? I smoke a cigarette at a concert. I'm leaving the concert to buy a pack or I'm bumming cigarettes from everyone there. And then on the way home, I'm stopping at a convenience store to buy a pack of cigarettes and that whole pack will probably be smoked that night. That's just how I roll. So anyway, one third are not addictable, one third are moderately addictable, and one third are extremely addictable. You can guess which category i'm in and it sounds like maybe you are too i don't know but um (laughs) yeah have you taken my quiz um the susceptibility that the addiction food addiction susceptibility quiz Uh, i think long ago ocean i think uh maybe i i clicked on a link that he sent um gosh you know i i need to do it again yeah it'll give you a score from one to ten it's like five of the simplest questions so it takes about 30 seconds it's super quick uh, it doesn't take long to tell if you're susceptible to food addiction, but your question is is piercing. So let me just say what I know about this. Here's one of the most fascinating lines of research about addiction is that um, there are many things that are different about the addictable brain. Um, the addictable person tends more toward impulsivity, right? So I don't know if you heard of the famous marshmallow test at Stanford University, yeah. right? So yeah, I so, love marshmallows, by yeah, the way. I we're the ones who, pop, me too, pop the marshmallow in the mouth <laughs> right, right away. Cannot wait a few minutes for a second marshmallow. Um, so tend toward impulsivity. In the food realm, their brains are more um, uh, pulled by high reward value foods. So foods higher in processed carbohydrates, higher in, you know, fats, higher in salt, higher in, you know, uh, umami or meat, right? Um, And, but apart from the food realm, here's the fascinating thing. Addictable brains are brains that are more drawn. Now stay with me, This this is nuanced more drawn toward the cues that predict rewards in the environment. The cues that predict rewards pull us in. So think about the cues that predict rewards, right? It could be the sight of golden arches off the corner of your eyes and suddenly your car is veering that way. It could be, a, the cue could be time of day where, oh, you just need a latte and a, and a you know, whatever, um, at a particular hour of the day, right? You're on your way to work, let's say, or, you know, everybody runs on whatever people eat, right? 
or it could be an emotion could be the cue right but then that cue sucks you in and suddenly the reward is like uh, a foregone conclusion so if you think about um our past um really adaptive uh brains helpful brains in a community would be the ones who would be sensitive to the cues that predicted certain outcomes. Oh yeah, we know that sky. That sky means it's about to rain. Oh, ooh, that noise right there, that's a rattlesnake in that bush, right? Um, and this track, this pattern of like hooves in the sand, that means that we are need to turn south right now to catch the, you know, if you just think about being aware or hypersensitive or drawn in by the cues that predict certain rewarding outcomes, you can see why like those brains are actually the helpful ones. Now in our environment, in our society where society is rigged to just be um, just stupid available and like, you know, uh, unhelpful things at every turn and it's just wiring up your brain to do the, the next dumb thing, right? It can be a real liability. But if you think back in a very sparse, harsh, um, uh, chilling environment, that would be exactly the kind of brain you'd want to have. So just saying, we were just born, um, you know, a few thousand years too late, Matt. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I had never heard the third, a third, a third of people, but that, uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, so tell me, when you're dealing with, whether it's a client or you can use yourself as an example, obviously you've transformed your life, what, what's the number one recommendation you give to someone like me, you know, who does have that addictable brain or, or prone, you know, uh, is more prone to uh, uh, that, that susceptibility, uh, that impulse control maybe isn't there. What's your number one recommendation for them if they're trying to take on a new habit, trying to change their eating behavior, whatever it might be? Yeah, such a great question. I do have one key piece of advice actually or one key thought on that which is if you know you have a brain that's really susceptible to addiction embrace bright lines so um, bright lines are clear unambiguous boundaries that you just don't cross it's actually a legal term so in the law a bright line rule is a ruler standard that gets um, applied consistently to produce reliable and predictable results and so I think in the food realm, what people often fail to realize is bright lines actually produce a lot of freedom. I mean, you know, people on this listening to this podcast are probably vegan or plant at least lean toward being plant based. Right. And um, so you might have a sense of like it's actually not that hard once you just make the decision to not eat animal products to just not do it. And then you might have a little bit of work to do to make sure that your later choices of restaurants and whatnot, you know, sort of support that decision. But the actual not eating of the actual meat is not hard at all. It's not like your brain is constantly hounding you to eat meat. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It just sort of falls away from your consciousness. And I think people often um, resonate with this really strongly around cigarettes, right? If someone's smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and they want to get healthy, well, nobody's recommending that they embrace the nicotine moderation 
program, right? People are saying, when are you going to quit smoking, Johnny? Right? So um, bright lines for cigarettes are obvious, right? And sugar and flour are more addictive than cigarettes. So my suggestion is, in general, if you have an addictable brain, embrace bright lines. Bright lines for your technology. Bright lines for that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you really have no need to interact with anymore. Bright lines for all kinds of things. They're just helpful. Well, I could not agree more with that. And uh, without having the the kind of um, poetic term bright lines, I've naturally gravitated towards that. Uh, you know, I mentioned with alcohol, but, uh, you know, with, with veganism, you know, my mom, especially around holidays, is always pushing, oh, it's just a little bit of egg in the bread or what have you. And, and it's like, it's just, it'd be exhausting to have to make that decision every single time. So, um, that's probably a good opportunity, and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm sure you've given this pitch a million times, but, but for those who aren't familiar with Brightline eating, is that what they need to take away? That it's, it's kind of, a, maybe you can give just the, the 30 second for those who are interested, because I know you have a, uh, a new boot camp coming up this month, probably right around when this episode airs. Um, and for those who are interested, you know, uh, can you share a little bit about what do they learn when they read your book, Bright Line Eating, or, or sign up for, for your boot camp? Yeah, totally. You know, Bright Line Eating is um, hard, actually, to distill because it's a complete system that works together. It really takes you through a process of changing so much about the way you live your life to support a completely revolutionized approach to food. Um, so there's uh, this amazing community where human connection is abounding, especially in these COVID days, people are feeling really isolated and we have a thriving community where people are really um, plugged in and supporting each other in ways that you just don't see other places, which leads to, um, you know, uh, significant, clinically significant lifts in depression, um, way more energy, way more feeling of uh, meaning in life. But of course, our hallmark is we handle food and we help people lose weight like no other program on earth. And this is scientifically published data showing, um, for example, in just the eight week Bright Line Eating Bootcamp, uh, people lose three to 13 times more weight than any uh, other published online weight loss program that's out there. Um, so people lose weight really rapidly. And the main thing is they keep it off. So two years later, um, people have not gained, on average, not gained back a single pound that they lost in the boot camp. And as a matter of fact, they've continued to lose on average after the boot camp for an additional six months. And if they're, if they joined the Bright Lifers program, which is ongoing, they continue to lose after that. And they don't, on average, they do not regain a single pound of even that weight loss. So, um, we do that by helping people um, really embrace a pretty structured way of eating. No sugar, no flour. And then the other two bright lines are for meals and quantities. So we're not into snacking. We do three meals a day, typically three. It could be a different number, but with nothing in between and that there's all kinds of research on how uh, important the long fasting window is, you know, from dinner around 
the clock to breakfast the next day or whatever um, to promote autophagy and all kinds of, which is the, the healing of your cells, right? And the, and the cell parts. Um, so lots of health emerges and healthy circadian rhythm and so forth. But we're also um, really exceptional at behavioral change. So we help people make eating the right things, like what they really already want to be eating to be in alignment with their values, um, easy, automatic, like as, as much of a non-issue as brushing your teeth. And we deliver sort of a system where we walk people through how to do that, basically. That is amazing. And I can see, you know, the thing I say so much, because uh, obviously, you know, we, we share in the mission to help people get healthy with food. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, it's amazing even, you know, your basic education through, you know, K through 12, right? There is almost no actual learning about how to take care of yourself. Nothing about <laughs> sleep, exercise, stress management, or food, yeah. right? It's Finances, like a, you know, right, totally. Well, yeah, let's, yeah, let's not even get into like, yeah. that's, that's like doctoral level sort of right. humaning, you know, yeah. but like just the basics, basics right? Food. Yeah is a core element of our existence. It's arguably yeah. you know, the thing, you know, aside from water, right? And um, so it's amazing to me, you know, and, and I guess a testament to the forward thinking approach that you've taken to say that, you know, there, there should be a system where, you know, like if you follow these rules, if you follow these bright lines, you know, the outcome is actually known and, and a positive one at that. So. Um, that, that's awesome. This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their P3OM probiotic. As you probably know, there is good bacteria and there's bad bacteria in your gut. And one way of fighting against the bad bacteria is through probiotics. But unfortunately, many of the low quality probiotics end up passing right through you and don't actually improve your microbiome. And Matt, when I was doing an interview or a podcast with Matt Fraser last week, he said that uh, every time you ask him to trust his gut, you say, trust your, your gut microbiome. Is that true? I do. It is, <laughs> it is a very nerdy thing that I've, uh, become accustomed to. Oftentimes I say like, you know, uh, anyway, yeah, your, your microbiome, they've actually figured out the connection. Um, it uses, I can't remember. It's either electromagnetic waves or some, some sort of, um, gosh, I can't remember like the metabolic pathway, whatever it is, uh, to communicate essentially your bacteria sending signals, you know, to your brain. Um, <laughs> and there are more, you know, nerve endings in your gut, you know, in, in your GI tract than there are like in your spinal cord, in your brain. Like it's just, it's a fascinating thing, but yeah, I do tell, tell Matt to listen to his gut microbiota. Well, all the more reason to keep your gut microbiome happy and healthy. <laughs> and that's why I'm a, I'm a fan of a probiotic called P3OM. It uses just one proven probiotic strain that's so effective it has been patented. And what it does really well is it fights off the bad guys, things like parasites, viruses, and other pathogens in your gut. And here's the deal. The guys who make it are so confident that you're going to like it. They'll give you all your money back if you don't. Go to buyoptimizers.com slash no meat. That's buyoptimizers.com slash no meat. And use code no meat to get 10% off. 
And if you've never used a high-end probiotic that can push out the bad guys, or if you're having problems with your gut and your immune system, give this stuff a try. Go to bioptimizers.com slash no meat and use the code no meat for 10% off. You, you brought up fasting and listeners uh, of this podcast will know um, I'm really big into fasting. So when you structure your, your meals, you know, there's, it, it's at this point, um, I think almost uh, part of popular culture, you know, intermittent fasting or, or time restricted feeding, whatever you might call it. Is that a part of how, how you live and how the bright line community sort of aspires to that, you know, you're, you're compacting those three meals into a certain window of time, say 12 hours on, 12 hours off, so that you get those benefits, as you mentioned, with autophagy? Or t- tell me just how, how do you approach fasting, especially given all the, the brain science uh, research you've done in your career? would love to know um, your thoughts on it. Yeah, totally. So um, for the longest time, I didn't really have any experience with it directly. Um, uh, I fasted when I was a crystal meth addict. I wouldn't eat for days and days and days. But then when I actually, you know, joined the land of the living, I just uh, ate. And then when I started eating this way when I was 28, back in 2003, I just ate three meals a day for the longest time. But when you're only eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you're eating at regular meal times, you're generally getting a good 12 to 13 hour fasting window, right? Like I, I tend to be an early eater, so I'll eat dinner. I mean, really sometimes as early as three or four, but more typically six or seven. Um, no, five or 6 p.m. But then I won't eat breakfast till 8 or 8.30. So I'm getting a good 13 hours of fasting for sure without um, any calories going into my system. So that's enough to kick in the autophagy. And I drink a big glass of water right upon awakening. But after I started reading some of the research on intermittent fasting and water fasting, which is just tremendous. I mean, the benefits are indisputable. Mm-hmm. Um, I started experimenting with it. And what I found, Matt, was that two meals a day are incredibly automatizable, even one meal a day, very automatizable. And that's the hallmark of success. If what you're doing is automatizable, and I might have coined that word. Um, I don't think you'll see it in the dictionary, but I use that word all the time. It's the crux of it is what you're doing automatizable. That's really all you need. And one and two meals a day are. So I also did a three-day water fast um, a few years ago and a 10-day water fast, just nothing but pure distilled water for 10 days. Um, And uh, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be, frankly. Uh, And yeah, lots of benefits. So um, I do support people in uh, whatever sort of rhythm or style of fasting they prefer. I will say that for someone who's a really, really wicked food addict, sometimes the refeeding can be hard. There can be a voracious, hungry food monster that kicks in on the second or third day of refeeding. Not typically the first day when you're just trying to kickstart your digestive system again, but after that. So that takes some, you know, awareness. But um, yeah, fasting is is healthy. So it's not explicitly built into the Brightline Eating Plan, but we have um, a Bright Fasters Facebook group, um, and uh, there are definitely people who are super into fasting who do Brightline Eating. It's just a, a really close first cousin of what we're doing anyway. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, I, I totally agree. You know, I always say that um, 
it's amazing how adaptable the body is, right? And you think, um, you know, I grew up in a household that assumed that, you know, you get headaches and, and will just, you know, be so depleted that you might not function if you don't eat within four to six hours, you know, uh, you know, routinely. And, uh, but once you, you know, sort of set your body on a, on a new routine, it's amazing how it can adapt and, yeah, I routinely go, uh, you know, many, many hours and you just almost forget about eating, you know, your body. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the food addictions that so often, you know, we are mistaking um, cravings, thirst, whatever, you know, habit um, for for hunger. And it's actually, yes. you know, your body needs a lot less than than you think it does. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Getting getting to habits, actually, I just I, I guess uh, uh, maybe a lightning round of some fun questions because I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, what 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 does your morning routine look like? Uh, I've heard that I'm just a connoisseur of of morning routines. You just mentioned coming out of a fast, you drink a big glass of water. But uh, what what's your best habit in the morning if if you have one? Well, I don't have a bad, let me just tell you my routine because it's, it all works Perfect. together. There's no best habit. So I wake at 5, 10 a.m. Um, I hit my knees. I actually bury my nose in the carpet and I just check in with the deep source of knowing and, um, you know, check in for service and uh, go to the bathroom, come back out. Oh, I read a 24 hour a day spiritual meditation book while I'm sitting on the toilet, get that in. And then uh, take my thyroid medicine, drink a huge big glass of water. Um, and then I'm meditating by 5.30. So I'm on my meditation bench, which I love. It's like the, the tool that uh, other than my digital food scale, I could not live without my meditation bench. And uh, I meditate for 30 minutes without fail. Um, set a lovely timer for that. So 6 a.m., my timer's going off. I'm done meditating and my phone rings. And that is someone that I support with their food addiction. So I still sponsor people, actually. Um, hmm. it's, I just come from a 12-step background, and I've learned that um, you asked for a lightning round. I'm not giving you the fast version of this, am I? Well, anyway, it was That's, my time. It's your time. Respect, I'll, so. I'll, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm here for you. So by okay. all means, I love this stuff. Yeah, so 6 a.m., I'm talking on the phone with someone. So I'm an extreme extrovert, and I, you know, when we, when you look at like what inspires or what creates flow for me, it's mentorship talking one-on-one -on -one with someone that I'm mentoring through life is, uh, it's as good as it gets. So I do that first thing in the morning, 6am, someone calls, I'm mentoring her. I'm hearing her food commitment. I'm supporting her and her day, uh, 615, someone else calls 630. I'm done with those calls and my personal trainers at my house. So I'm working out from 630 to 730 with, um, a mobility trainer Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and a strength powerlifting trainer Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I get swing dancing and yoga in later in the day. Um, not part of the morning <laughs> routine though. Um, 7.30, I'm making breakfast. So I'm getting my digital food scale out and I'm using my, oh, Matt, you should know, complement protein powder in my oats. This is a new oh, addition lovely. to the morning routine. I, it's blowing my mind how effective it is. Actually, it's kind of cra I never used to do powders because I'm kind of a no powder girl um I've had enough powders in my life and I just don't do them anymore but um <laughs> your your protein powder is really amazing gotta say um well, yes yeah, so I'm eating you. breakfast we're, we're proud of that 
It is. It's a, and I love the the packaging and just the um the integrity of like uh, just you can just pick up the package and just read the labels and just go okay. Someone put a lot of really effective, um, just wise thought into what went into this. Um, so well, yeah, we we share your anti powder uh, philosophy. So when Matt Fraser and I you know, thought through the idea that we would be adding to the protein deficiency scaremongering. We, we just hated the thought and said to ourselves, yeah. if we can do it 10 times better than what's out there today, then we'll, we'll move forward with this. And it took us literally more than a year to do. Um, that packaging, by the way, you can bury in your bury backyard. In backyard. And I love that. Turn to yeah. biomass in 12 months. So, love you know, because... Anyway, anyway, but yeah. uh, so sorry, sorry, continue. I think we're at Almost 8.30, done. you're eating oatmeal. Almost done. Yeah, six, 7.30, I'm making the oatmeal, um, chilling with, you know, checking in with my husband, my three little kids. I got three little daughters, um, getting them off on the bus and stuff. And then 8.10, I'm usually, if the weather permits, sitting outside, eating my breakfast, um, getting some light into my eyeballs. And, um, uh, and then my phone rings again. I t- talk to one more person. Um, supporting them on their food journey from 8.10 to roughly 8.30, and then I start my day, usually with a nice long hot shower. It's my guilty pleasure, but I live near the Great Lakes. Most of, you know, a big chunk of the world's fresh water is right near me, so I take advantage of, like, a, a stupid long shower, like, really long hot shower to loud music, sort my head out, and then um, and then I'm at my desk doing my most important focus work from, say, 10 a.m. to, you know, noon. And then I talk to people like you in the afternoon. Wow, amazing. Um, that sounds like, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like energized just hearing about your, uh, your morning routine. And uh, the mentorship stuff, uh, that, that's really inspiring. I'm, I'm going to have to think about that because I usually do those calls for myself in the evening because I think about, you know, my first hours awake are always my clear, clearest head so, yes. you know, I'm just straight to work, which is probably not ideal. And, and you probably, like you say, are, are uh, more fit for service uh, because you have that grounding connection with people in the morning. That, that's just awesome. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, how long have you been meditating? Is it transcendental? I'm just if I can pry. I'm, I'm a meditation simpleton. So I've been sitting my butt on a seat for 30 minutes a day for 17 and a half years and I don't sweat it I gotta say that's kind of the secret of it to me is I sit there but in seat 30 minutes timer goes off it's a win and and I I couldn't wouldn't didn't meditate before that when I felt like it had to be some, some something fancy, right? Like I didn't have the right posture. I didn't have the right mantra. I didn't, my mind's jumping around too much. But when I changed the goal to just butt in seat, it's a win, right? Um, suddenly I love meditating. Like I just sit there, I sink into myself. And I got to say, it's enabled some of the deepest inner work because I'm so comfortable inside my own skin. I can go deep inside and do deep, you know, I don't know if you've discovered IFS yet, parts work. Um, I can do some really deep self-therapy by just going inside myself because I meditate. But um, I don't actually do any kind of system. I love Monique Rhodes. I follow her. She's the 10-minute mind. Um, But um, I don't 
listen to her recording every day. You, I've, I just, she and I are friends, and she, if I were to recommend a meditation instructor, it would be her. But no, it's not transcendental meditation or, you know, any kundalini or anything in particular. Okay. Um, last question, and this yeah. one I have to ask because when I was, uh, gosh, I don't know, eight, eight years old, maybe nine years old, some, somewhere pre-10, um, we're flying to Colorado, moving as a family, and my sister has this bright idea to change her name. She's going to go by her middle name. And of course, as a young, impressionable uh, brother, I said, so am I. Um, I'm much more pig-headed and stubborn uh, than my sister, so I actually saw it through, including, you know, um, uh, yelling at my great-grandmother because, of course, when you see someone, you know, a few times a year, it took them years to catch up with the fact that I had changed my name <laughs> as a young child. I have read that you actually took it to an even further extreme and changed both, both first and last name as a yeah. young kid. I'm, yeah. I'm so fascinated about that. And, uh, you know, c- clearly you're an iconoclast because, I mean, that, that, at, at that age, right, is an amazing thing to determine and to see through. So yeah. please tell us the story. I, I have to get a laugh out of this. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, my parents were hippies, so God bless them. They were fine with it. But um, <laughs> I, I started hating my name when I was eight. Um, my, my birth name was Anna, A-N-A, Fleischmann which is my dad's family name, so Hungarian Jew. Um, and um, I, first of all, no one could pronounce it, and everyone called me Anna. And so I was like, it's Anna. And my mom was like, no, it's Anna. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> I couldn't even pronounce my own name. <laughs> um, everyone misspelled it, put two N's in it. Um, and, you know, then Fleisch, I don't know, some kid at school teased me, Anna, Anna, Anna Fleisch the toilet man. I don't know, whatever. I didn't want to be Anna Fleisch. I didn't resonate with the name. So I started talking about wanting to change my name when I was very, very young. And um, finally, I just didn't let it go. And so my parents finally realized I was very, very serious. And there was this, like, year or two where I, I was just trying out new names. Mom, I've got it. Morningstar. <laughs> and she'd be like, nope. <laughs> Mom, Jamie. Um, okay, mom, you know, whatever. Anyway, one day I was like, mom, I've really got it. I've really got it. I'm going to change my name to Susan. And she said, really? And I was like, yeah, yeah, Susan. And she said, that's not really a fit for you. Like that's, you're going to find that that's your friend's mom's name. It's sort of like a, you know, 1950s housewife name. And I was like, no, 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 I love it. I didn't know anyone named Susan except... In the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the seven amazing books that C.S. Lewis wrote, um, Susan was one of the four protagonist kids, right? Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan. And um, the, the vice principal of my school was named Susan Anderson, and she was really nice to me. I just remember really liking her. Other than that, I knew no other Susans. So I changed my name to Susan. My mom agreed but was sort of befuddled because I seemed like such an edgy sort of different kind of kid so she was kind of tripped out that I wanted to name myself Susan um but it seemed edgy to me I didn't know I didn't know otherwise and then I took my grandma's um 
name. So my grandma was Polly Pierce, and I wanted to name myself after my matrilineage, not my patrilineage. So at the age of nine in the state of California, where the laws at the time were to legally change your name, adult or child or otherwise, you must use the new name for a year, submit to the court records of your new name on your doctor's records, your dentist records, your school records, what have you, um, and then the court will stamp it and legally change your name. Um, I legally changed my name from Anna Fleischman to Susan Pierce. No middle name in either of them. Anna Fleischman to Susan Pierce at the age of nine. <laughs> that That is amazing and so much cooler than my story because I never even got around to the legal name change. It's just, it's always stuck and it's been such a headache on all legal documents oh. and Aaron on like all other instances i met it's such a pain um, so your so, birth name was aaron a-a-r-o-n correct yep and, and my middle name is matthew and literally on a whim no pre-thought like definitely not as sophisticated as you're thinking i i just thought oh if my sister ashley's gonna go by her middle name i'll go by mine and uh i have no honestly i have no idea you know um why it even stuck why i was so determined but yeah, fast fast forward some years and I'm still mad, <laughs> which maybe I should go back. Maybe I should go back because we have too many mats on our team, actually. So we all go by our, we have a lot of mats. Right. And yeah, if you can believe it, we have yet one more mat on, on our team. So it's uh, it's an issue. It's an issue. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so inspired by your perseverance, both in name changing, uh, and also in your broader <laughs> life's journey. I mean, honestly, um, it's one of those, uh, roller coasters that I'm glad you wrote a book because, uh, you know, you certainly had justification just given what you've gone through and what you've accomplished and I have no doubt someone will turn it into a movie one day so um, Susan thank you so much for spending the time with us and for sharing so much um, we'll be sending out an email to let everyone know about the Brightline boot camp coming up um, is there any parting words or any anywhere that you uh, direct people if they want to learn more about Brightline or about you let me think if people want to take that quiz if people want to take that quiz they could go to foodfreedomquiz.com foodfreedomquiz.com and then i just want to say there's always a few folks out there who um and if it's you listening and you're like really just at your wit's end with noticing yourself not be able to really control what you put in your mouth, like promising yourself you'll have a little and then you have a lot, promising yourself you'll not get that treat and then you do, um, uh, stuck weighing more than you know you want to, not in alignment with how your body feels or looks or moves because you're carrying all that extra weight. That's not, you know, it's not like the man wants you to be thin like Twiggy. It's more that it's just not your right size body. It's not your best bright body. Um, if you have tried everything, um, there's one thing left to try and it actually works, um, sometimes even best for people who are at that jumping off point. 
their wits end. So I just want to say there's hope. There's hope. I rarely meet anyone who's as bad of a food addict as I have been. And, um, and I have recovered. And, um, you know, we watch people really transform um, all the time in Brightline Eating. And there is peace and freedom and food neutrality and health and vitality and hope. There really is. So that's, the, that's what I wanted to say. Well, I can't think of any better words, any more inspirational words than that. So, Susan, thank you so much again for spending the time, and we all look forward to joining in this next boot camp. Thanks so much, Matt. It's great. It's been great to be with you. Really, truly, thank you so much.